What's up, my miners of intelligence and consciousness? I'm Rick Brooks, and this is Rick's Mind. Today with me, I have guest Dr. Vern Sabo, who is a lobbyist and a chiropractor. Welcome to the show, Vern. Thanks for having me. Anytime. So I think a really good place to start, how I generally like to run my interviews, is kind of how you got in to the position that you're in. If you could kind of let us know. Yeah, it's uh, kind of an interesting story. As uh, I had always been involved uh, my first year in practice with um, legislative activity at the Oregon State Capitol. Um, I would go where the paid lobbyists, lay lobbyists, when I say lay lobbyists, non-chiropractor lobbyists, would tell me to go where I'd testify to a bill or uh, <clears throat> meet with a legislator, speak to uh, our legislative concept, etc., in fact, in 1981, my first year in practice, I was the first uh, chiropractic physician as a doctor of the day under the old Oregon Medical Association's Doctor of the Day program. And I sat next to my state representative, then uh, May Yi, on the House floor as the Speaker of the House introduced me. So that was my first experience in my first year in practice. So fast forward to 2005, I'd always been involved. At the time, I was a chair of the Legislative Committee for the Oregon Chiropractic Association on the state level. And uh, we had to let go of a lay lobbyist uh, who made a mistake. I won't mention who it is or what the mistake was. <laughs> but uh, they said, well, you know the most, so will you do it? And I anticipated I would be doing it just for that 2005 session. Uh, and uh, I just continued. Um, in fact, uh, up until that point, I had been in practice 24 years, and I couldn't, nor any of my colleagues, think of a single substantial piece of legislation we got through the Oregon legislature. Um, the lay lobbyists we had would tell us that they died on the sword for us during board meetings, because the board's who pays them, uh, but no substantive bills were passed that helped the profession and our patients. We did get hammered in 1990 in workers' compensation. Uh, at the time, we had a lay lobbyist, and we were, chiropractic physicians were restricted. We lost what's known as our attending physician status, and uh, we're working to get that back. So um, I took over the reins into my first session after really not getting anything done in 24 years, I got both of our bills passed and started a chiropractic treatment room off the Senate chamber on the third floor uh, with $9,000 of donated equipment. Wow. So that's kind of how I got into it. It was out of necessity. I thought I would just be doing it that session. And the, and the rest, as they say, uh, is history. We've got a number of bills, many administrative rules, and, and a lot of things that benefit the profession. So just, just to make sure I'm understanding, before you... You, you were using a lay lobbyist, someone that wasn't trained in the chiropractic profession, correct? Correct. They're, I mean, that's what you do. You, you, would, you would hire professional lobbyists, uh, individuals, that that's what they did. They would represent many clients, uh, and we were one of their clients. Uh, we went through several different lay lobbyists through the years. And an interesting little caveat was um, when I was... 2005, I had taken the reins uh, to be lobbyist by uh, necessity under an emergency. I was in the uh, office of state senator at the time, Vicki Walker, mm -hmm. long retired, 
out of Eugene. Neat, neat gal. And I gave her my impassioned um, explanation for our work comp study bill, comparing chiropractic to medical treatment of injured workers who would do a better job and save money. And we know we'd kick their butts. It wasn't going to be <laughs> close. Uh, uh, Professor Emeritus in Epidemiology and later State Representative Mitch Greenlick designed the study for me. And I gave her my spiel and she pushed back from her a desk uh, and uh, with a smile on her face, totally anticip- unanticipated by me, because I was literally flying by the seat mm-hmm. of my pants. She said to me, she says, you know, Vern, she says, you, you have a different level of credibility with us than these other guys. And I said, I do. And she says, yeah, you do. You're a chiropractor talking about chiropractic issues and your patients and you're a chiropractor. She says, you don't have a bunch of other clients. You have just one chiropractor and you're a chiropractor. These other guys have multiple clients uh, and they're talking heads, hired guns. They'll talk to me about Miller Paint one day, Verizon the next, uh, McDonald's the, th- the third day, but you have one client. She says, and uh, you explain things well and you do it with passion. And she says, that, that puts you at a different level of credibility. And that really has made all the difference in the, in, in, through the years in my, in my view. I'm, I am passionate about advocating for our patients and profession. We have the facts and evidence on our side. Uh, and uh, it, is, it has served us very, very well. And I've had many, many conversations from other states around the country, board uh, phone conversations, Zoom meetings. They all ask the same question. How is it you guys are getting everything you're getting done in Oregon done? What's your secret? And it's, my answer is always the same. Hire a chiropractic colleague as your lobbyist or one of your lobbying team. Yeah, that doesn't that's honestly kind yeah. of freaks me out. That makes a lot more sense. You're going to be able to explain things and, and have so many so much more detail in your explanations if if you were actually a part of that craft. Right. And and it's disturbing, exactly. though, because I don't know anything about the world <laughs> of lobbying. And I didn't I didn't even know that you could hire people to be a law. I just always thought that it would be a representative from whatever impassioned group that may or may not be. But I'm finding out this isn't the case. So uh, you, you, is are there firms? You, there are firms that you can hire that will do lobbying for you. I mean, I'm just so How the F does that even start? Well, it's it's been around for a long time and they make a good, goodly amount of money. They have well over one hundred thousand dollars. <throat> and. Um, on the national level, in Congress, uh, there's an estimated just in excess of 1,900 lobbyists hired by the pharmaceutical <laughs> industry, uh, and they sit, they spend a few. And my understanding, I don't know the exact number, but a few billion dollars in lobbying fees, uh, and that's one of the reasons why they're so powerful. They have endless pockets. Yes, 100 percent. And I am one of, and I'm. I don't want to get too far in the we actually screw it. we'll get we'll get we'll get in the weeds on that because that's something I I don't the craziest thing with the COVID right was it, it, mm-hmm. it used to be pretty I felt black and line uh, it was black and white whether you trusted big farmer or not but then COVID happens the vaccines are out and all of a sudden you have I feel like people begin to trust big pharma and that free has been kind of freaking me out it's been like a way that they could sort of wash their image clean and people are very quickly forget that this these are the same companies that pretty much started the uh, drug epidemic especially with uh, opioid the opioid crisis right and pretty much Correct. got away scot-free and like you said they have endless amounts of money and a lot of influence i mean 
um, definitely not a fan of of what they do. I mean, how much? How much? Uh, you see any? You ever seen any like shady shit going down? And when you were in your time in Washington? Well, I don't. I have never witnessed it firsthand, but I've seen the evidence and documentation. Uh, for instance, one of the producers of the uh, mRNA vaccines, Pfizer, a few years ago, I think it was 2009, the largest fine in history was lodged against them uh, by, uh, and, and they paid an FDA fine for, uh, how I understand it, fraudulently misreporting uh, and mismarketing some of their uh, drugs uh, and were tapped by, big, by FDA for, I think they... It was the largest fine ever of right at $3 billion. But to account to, to an industry that counts their sales in tens of billions and profits in billions, uh, some would say that just essentially um, equates to a speeding oh, yeah. ticket, a cost of doing business. 100%. 100%. I, I don't, um, it doesn't make any sense to me. The, uh, you you got to have them. Like I I, d- I definitely appreciate the infra- the the research that they've done. I I I I appreciate that the drugs that are out there to market. Uh, you know I I believe in fr- you know in our in our medical system, but at the same time, sure. I, I don't like the idea that you can have television commercials advertising drugs there's we're one of two countries that does that i believe it's the united states and new zealand john pull the other oh, sweet all right good i got that one right um but uh <laughs> i just I, I i don't know like that's a big problem um i mean it, you are a lobbyist do, do, and you've done a lot of good but you know kind of do you think that at the end of the day do you ever look look you know kind of do you ever look at what you're doing? You're obviously fighting for something you believe in, but how much harm do you think it's doing to our country, the ability to, you know, lobby and whatnot? Like, you're kind of in a weird position. Well, what I lobby for is we're a drug-free profession. We don't prescribe. I'm in the camp that I hope that we never get into prescribing because we have, everybody's gotten on the prescribing bandwagon. We have... I, I, I treat and have uh, referrals from over 200 medical professionals. So if there's one of my patients that is in so much pain that they can't hardly even get on the table, I can't really do anything. I can send them down the street, literally two blocks away, uh, and get some pain medications temporarily just so they can sleep and get to the point where I can actually do something mm-hmm. with them. I don't, I don't need that prescription privilege and the increased malpractice rates and the drug seekers and the adverse reactions to medications you have to be concerned with and on top of drug drug interactions drug nutrient interactions drug botanical interactions uh, and you get to do all that fun with additional uh, higher much higher malpractice uh, uh, costs uh, premiums and uh, so uh, the, the the lobbying it's it's a double-edged sword you know you you uh, it all depends on uh, what you're lobbying for and the consequences of that and unfortunately what I've seen and what is well documented in the uh, 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 history of big pharma in this country is uh, in my opinion what I've read what I've seen and the fines I've seen is that 
uh, the pharmaceutical industry is more than willing to place profit ahead of public safety, and that should never be. Yes, I and I, I couldn't agree more. There are several instances, like you've said, of large fines, um, prescription d- drugs, getting them holding back rather research, damning research in order to get something approved. Like that's all been documented. Um, you know, I think right. I believe that they were advocating against the decriminalization of mar- medical marijuana and CBD. And now they, I believe that they're one of the largest purchasers in some of these companies' stocks. Um, it's, it's, it's very, it's very bizarre. Um, I am right. not a fan at all. I mean, there's some, a lot of, uh, problematic uh, lobbyists uh, out there. But I definitely think that Big Pharma is, is probably one of the biggest offenders, in my opinion. Right. There's others, device manufacturers and so forth. But um, getting back to what yeah. I do, uh, <laughs> one of the uh, benefits of me being the lobbyist on the state level that was kind of unexpected uh, is that speaking of lobbying Congress, is that because of my foundational work at the state level, when they when many of these individuals make a jump to Congress, I have a first name relationship with them, which is very unique because once they get back there, the political noise of thousands of voices and folks asking for things is almost deafening. And I only go back there once or twice a year. Mm-hmm. I have one big event for the American Chiropractic Association in particular. And so to try to develop a first name relationship once they're back there is almost impossible. I'm not there every day. And uh, I have a first name relationship with Jim, uh, U.S. Senator Jeff mm-hmm. Merkley, uh, Congresswoman Suzanne Bonamici. I, in fact, I gave Suzanne her very first pack check at Pioneer Square when she first ran for political office. Uh, for the Oregon State House, she was running for Charlie Ringo's seat, who made the jump to the Oregon State Senate. And then when Charlie retired from the state Senate, she jumped into his Senate seat. And when David Wu, Congressman Wu, jumped into a tiger suit and then resigned, she ran for Congress and won. <laughs> she was really on a fast track. Uh, and so, uh, and then I have I had a first name relationship with. Just a wonderful uh, individual who lost his primary, uh, Congressman Kurt Schrader. Uh, and Kurt did a lot for us while he was there for 12 years or so. Uh, and uh, for instance, him and I, I worked on his campaign in 2008. Between 2008 and 2018, we worked for 10 years. He never gave up, he never slowed down. Every quarterly meeting, his staff told me he would ask the Portland VA Medical Center when are we going to hire a chiropractic physician? And it took us three directors, and 10 years later, in 2018, he never gave up, nor did I. Uh, Portland VA finally hired their first full-time chiropractic physician. They now have four, and uh, there's now a clerkship where senior interns from the University of Western States Doctor of Chiropractic program rotate through the rehab department. And now there's a possibility, possibility, hopefully probability of the first uh, in the history of the Portland VA uh, chiropractic residency program. Wow. So that kind of first name relationship transcending into Congress uh, really, really is beneficial and unique. Yeah, that's fantastic. And and like currently, what are you currently working on right now to get passed? Well, interestingly, um, 
We are uh, our number one bill, and I was just talking with the chair at the political function tonight. Uh, as you can tell, I took my suit and tie <laughs> off. I'm going cash yeah. now. And um, what is a uh, workers' compensation bill uh, and uh, getting full attending physician status for chiropractic physicians return. Now, what I mean by that is that chiropractic physicians in this state are being inappropriately arbitrarily discriminated against, uh, meaning the amount of time we get with an injured worker is, is, is restricted to 18 visits or 60 days. And we lost our full attending physician rights many years ago in 1990, uh, and it was based on some misreporting of data. And of course, we had to lay lobbyists. And um, so our big bill is to reinstitute our full attending physician status. Now, we've got non-discrimination provisions, non-discrimination in the commercial health insurance market, uh, and that has its traces back in Congress in 2010 when the uh, ACA, the Obamacare, was making its way through Congress. On the Senate side, we went to uh, then state excuse me, then U.S. Senator Tom Harkin from Iowa, treats with my good friend, Dr. Dal Bates in Iowa. <clears throat> Tom is now retired. Very strong proponent of uh, chiropractic and other uh, complementary and alternative medical providers such as naturopathic physicians, nurse practitioners. And we said, Tom, if we're gonna change healthcare, we gotta, not just how we pay for it, but we, need, we have to change how we deliver. We, every, we need all hands on deck. You cannot allow the commercial health insurers to discriminate arbitrarily against any health care provider that's practicing with their scope of the license in that state. He says, I absolutely agree. And he drafted what became known as the Harkin Amendment, which passed and became Section 2706A of Obamacare, mm -hmm. and which states that uh, insurers and health plans cannot discriminate against any health care provider as it relates to coverage participation and varied reimbursement rates, which means participation, they have to let all types of providers, chiropractic, naturopathic physicians on their panels. It's not an any willing provider. They don't have to let all of us on, but they have to have an adequate network so that consumers don't have, excuse me, <clears throat> so consumers don't have an impediment getting to us because there's so few mm -hmm. of us. They have to have an adequate network Coverage piece is that if it's a covered health benefit and it's within my scope of license to provide as a chiropractic physician and I provide it, they got to pay me for it. They can't say, well, you know, we generally don't pay chiropractors for that service. And the last piece is varying reimbursement rates. In other words, you can't reimburse us for the same covered service, such as spinal manipulation, uh, less than another health provider, such as an osteopath just because of the type of discipline. And, uh, but you can vary reimbursement rates based on quality and performance outcomes. Do we do a better job? If we do a better job, we could get an end of the year bonus, do a crappy job, we could get a, you know, no bonus or even get kicked off the panel if we're really to do a crappy job, but you can't out of the gate simply because I'm a chiropractor, not an osteopath, pay me less for the same service. And, um, we got that into Oregon state law. And then um, in 2012, 
Uh, we got uh, non-discrimination applied to the Oregon Health Plan through Governor Kitzhopper. Mm-hmm. Same language. So the court, new coordinated care organizations uh, could not discriminate against any health care provider. And so, and we have non-discrimination as it relates to auto PIP. You get in a car accident, you can go to the health care provider of your choice. And so one of the last bastions of inappropriate behavior, discrimination against us and other providers is the workers' compensation system. And we are arguably, as chiropractors, the best at treating common back, neck, mid-back injuries. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're saying that arbitrarily restricting us is providing uh, out, poor outcomes for injured workers and increasing costs. And so that's our big bill. We actually have another bill relative to opioids, working with Senator um, Bill Kitimir on the Health Committee on the Senate side, and that is a bill that would allow or require, excuse me, all healthcare providers to take a minimum hour of continuing educational uh, training in recognizing the signs and symptoms of acute opioid overdose, because you have very short time to act. And then being able to administer uh, Narcan, which is a drug that will compete for the opioid and can, will save, save a life. First responders already have this. And in Oregon, you don't have to have any training to administer it. But we want this part of the educational piece. And then changing the paraphernalia law here in Oregon so that we have access to the fentanyl um, test strips mm. because there's a big spike in illicit fentanyl uh, that's going on that's causing opioid um, overdoses and deaths. Many is a time um, folks don't even realize what they're getting in this medication that's illicit. They're told one thing and they have, and, and fentanyl is so powerful and a lot of people get into trouble very, very quickly with it. Uh, and. As you know, because the opioid nar- narcotic, prescription narcotic um, epidemic we had, there was a significant tapering of consumers being able and patients being able to get their mm-hmm. opioids. And this really hurt the, the chronic pain, back pain sufferers that have tr- tried everything else. And the one thing that keeps them functional is well-managed uh, Opioids. Nothing else has helped them. They've had post-surgical, failed back surgery, and so forth, and they manage them properly. Uh, and the tapering took those away from those individuals. Now there's some of that continuing where they can't get the opioids they want, so they're getting, they're taking some of these illicit uh, products. And fentanyl is so much more powerful that they're getting into, and that's part of the problem. They're getting into trouble. So this bill would. Uh, requires some education, access to the test strips, and administration of life-saving Narcan. Um, the last bill that we're dealing with is a uh, with some other CAM providers, the acupuncturists, is that whenever we have that would require the insurance division, Department of Consumer Business Services, it's not called the insurance division, it's called something else now, but deals with insurance. Now, whenever we have concerns or examples of what we believe is discriminatory actions by insurers or health plans that DCBS must meet with us and try to find a fix and try to find a remedy to what we believe is discriminatory 
processes by the uh, action by a commercial health insurer or insurers. And that's what we got going this legislative session on the state level. That's just on the state level. That's amazing. I, I now on the on the federal level, yeah. you want well on the federal level, you want want me, want me to tell you what's 100%, on the federal level, man? Yeah, I, that's yeah. I want to know. So this is a biggie. This is our uh, Medicare Chiropractic Modernization Act, and this is going to help so many seniors and save so much money to the federal government. Right now, folks don't realize this, but even though all of the scientific research shows that chiropractic spinal manipulation has the highest quality evidence showing that what we do works, seniors, Medicaid, excuse me, Medicare recipients uh, have do not have a lot of discretionary income, yeah, right? No, not at all. And Medicare, we Medicare is chiropractic physician. Medicare does not pay for our examinations or consultations. They don't pay for any extra. How do you how do you treat someone without an examination? Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't pay for X-rays. They don't, they don't pay for any of the physiotherapies that we perform, which seniors really benefit from, uh, and uh, or blood studies or any of any of the other services that are under our scope of license to provide lab testing the only thing they pay for is a chiropractic adjustment and that's it and and that's just crazy and it's it's costing the system money uh we're a one-stop shop senior can come to us we can provide the physiotherapies we can provide the x-rays we can provide hands-on treatment as opposed to their primary care medical physician saying, okay, we're going to do this, and then we're going to send you over here, and then we're going to send you the physical therapist, and then we're going to send you over here for an x-ray, and they have all this travel time, which is can be an issue for seniors, uh, getting all that organized, even if they have a little shuttle from their assisted living facility. And uh, as a one-stop shop, and specializing and focus on musculoskeletal injuries, um, we will save the system a tremendous amount of money at the same time providing better outcomes for our seniors. So that's our big uh, uh, bill for Congress. It's House Resolution 2654. We have 148 members of Congress co-sponsoring it, and it's split almost right down the middle, half Republican, half Democratic members co-sponsoring our legislation. Uh, And we have a Senate companion bill which is uh, Senate Bill 4042. This has co-sponsors working on that. So we have the most traction we've ever had. We've never had that many co-sponsors in the history of the American Chiropractic Association on any of our bills in the past that we've gotten passed. And so we're very hopeful that we'll get this thing done this coming congressional wow. session. And all, 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 the, all that you need is just a vote to pass this thing and then it will be enacted into law, correct? You've, you've taken it... Well, it's got to go through the committees, and then it goes to the House for floor vote. Then it goes over to the Senate. Then the, the Senate goes over to the House, and there'll be a, a, a committee, a a, um, a uh, conference committee that look at the two bills, and they they uh, talk about any differences, and they come to a consensus resolution, and they come out with one bill because okay. we have a Senate and a House yeah. bill. So if this if this doesn't pass, what's the next steps? Well, reintroduce okay. it. And do you, uh, again, do you reintroduce yeah. something like that right away, or do you give it some time? No, right away. Uh, I, you know, this, we believe this is going to be an exception, but 
kind of the benchmark from Congress. Things slow. Things move a lot slower at the federal level. Sometimes like molasses. Not surprised by that. Much slower on the <laughs> much slower on the federal level, and the the standard is it takes it can take on average ten years ten years to get a substantial piece of legislation passed of continued effort. What? So uh, that's crazy. That's yeah, crazy. I just yeah. you know you. The reason I think that's so crazy is you think of like the COVID stimulus or, you know, things like that. These bills pass really, really quick. And right. that's just because there's a fire under their ass and they might be able to secure another four years in Congress um, if they're able to do that. But for things that are a little less sexy, if you will, it it, it takes on average around 10 years for it to pass through all the, the bureaucracy. Right, right. Now, when you have an emergency, supposed emergency <laughs> situation... <laughs> And of course, they uh, will push things through. Uh, and of course, things seem to go through much quicker for the pharmaceutical oh, industry. Yeah. Oh gosh, I yeah, wonder why. It's, it's all about the money, hundred percent. Well, that, that I, I love your I love that you're fighting the good fight, man. Um, it, it kind of how was all these experiences? How have they how do you think they've changed you? Because there, there's got to be you've had to adapt to a lot of I'm, I'm sure crazy situations. It's a, a little odd question, but I don't know any lobbyists, so I got to ask. Well, um, it's um, it giving is giving me a wake up call on how things really work. Yeah. Uh, and um, you know, on the state level, your word is your bond, and you simply cannot misstate, misrepresent, or blatantly lie to a member of the Oregon legislature uh, because uh, that's your reputation, which is everything. Um, and you never, you just, you know, not even misstate something. If you don't know the answer, you tell the member, you know, I really don't know the answer. I believe that it may be this, but I'm really not certain. Let me research it. Let me get back with the facts, uh, Senator and I'll, and I'll, Representative and I'll, and I'll come back with the accurate answer. But you don't misrepresent. You don't shoot from the hip, make a statement that you're not sure is accurate or true. Uh, now, on the federal level, it's a little different. Uh, but on the state level, you cannot do that. Um, and and also, um, it just reinforces that you know um, lobbying. At least for me, it's a lot of it's, it's relationships, personal relationships. And getting to know that member and they getting to know you and in my case, seeing, witnessing my passion for our issues. Uh, we're on the correct side of truth and the evidence. And, and it's just a matter of getting through the politics. And that's what's really kind of cool about what I do and why I'm, uh, it's so fulfilling is that I'm passionate about it. But we have the truth on our side. We have the evidence. We have the science on our side. So what we're asking, I can back up. And it's just a matter of time and working through the politics. Uh, uh, and um, in the end, we win. It's just staying the course, never getting upset, never losing your cool, as it says. doesn't matter how bad it gets. Uh, you don't get frazzled. You don't get angry. You don't lash out. Uh, no matter how pointed a comment might be in hearing by a member of the legislature, as I tell my colleagues, I go, well, how do you do that? I, I was watching that hearing. How do you, you know, you just, 
I said, because, and the long and the short of it is, at the end of the day, the cooler heads prevail. If you come across professional always, knowing your facts, you just come back with more facts, more statistics, more evidence, more truth, uh, you win in the end. If you get upset, you lose. And I said, just think of me if one of those large inflatable, you know, clown face that you punch, it's got the weight at the <laughs> yeah. bottom, he comes back up smiling, yeah, yeah. you punch him, he comes right back up smiling, <laughs> just come right back with more evidence, more science, more truth. Uh, you never get upset. Yeah. Uh, and um, so that's kind of, you know, that's how it's changed me is understanding that it takes time. And when you're right, you just, you just have to be patient and stay professional and not get angry. And, you know, early on, I got a little agitated, you know, but I learned that, you know, that's not going to win in the end. It's going to work against you. So you just never let them see you sweat. You never get upset. You just come back with more facts. You had stated that at the state level, your word is your bond. But less so at the mm-hmm. federal. I mean, like, how what do you, are people more two faced once you get further removed from the states? Or, well, um, I don't know certainly if that's true. Uh, I'm sure it is, just because it's bigger. Yeah. It's just that there's so much noise, so much. You know, uh, you can just you've got such short periods of time with that uh, member of Congress and usually a staff person uh, that sometimes you're almost forced to shoot from the mm-hmm. hip because you're not, you don't know when you're going to get back to them again. They're going to, you know. And the other piece of that is they, more times than not, they don't even remember yeah. because there's so many folks, so many members, uh, so many voices, so many people coming at them that it takes multiple, multiple uh, interactions with them. And... Um, and a lot of the foundational work isn't just, I mean, it's not just there in Washington, D.C. I get together with the staff at the state level. All the congressmen, congresswomen have multiple offices here in the state and staff, and that's where you go. And um, in fact, we had a legislative committee meeting for the American Chiropractic Association. I had one young doc act a little upset because he couldn't get to the congressman. All he ever got was staff. And he says, you know, I'm I'm really kind of getting upset. I'm getting tired of it. I said, hold on, Steve. I said, that's how it works. They have so many meetings. They have to be to committees. They have such little time. I said, you treat the staff members like gold. You tick them off and it will work against you with that member of Congress. They can be your biggest ally. They like you. You treat them with respect and professionalism and as if they were the member of Congress and give them all the details. And, and I said, you get that staff member, they can pester that congressman after you're gone multiple times. You get one shot. And more importantly, you tick off that staff member. You, you disrespect that staff member. It is very detrimental to your being able to lobby that member of Congress. You just shot yourself squarely yeah. in the foot. That was another question I wanted to ask you, is, is how hard is it to get a meeting and how does that process work? Well, it's it's difficult uh, because it's just, especially U.S. senators, um, and um, it's just because the sheer numbers of meetings, senators represent twice as many 
uh, of the population in their state that is, that a uh, Congress, a representative does. And so it's just that much more difficult. So that's why getting to know the staff and getting the information to them and the right staff member and being respectful and professional is so very vital. But getting a meeting with that member is, is difficult. However, when you have a first name relationship with them, uh, this, it's a little different. Suzanne Bonamici is always there when we meet uh, and, and I'll have to describe how we meet with all the students. We, we, we go once a year, we go up on the hill and we have hundreds of students, faculty and school presidents that we all descend on the hill. And she's always almost, always, I think there's only been one time since she's been elected that she was not in the meeting with us. Uh, Kurt Schrader would, uh, Congressman Schrader, he would reschedule and I knew what he was doing because he wanted to be there, but something came up. so staff asked to reschedule our meeting while well, they were rescheduling it so Kurt could be there. And I said, you, you reschedule as many times as you want. He's got priority because he'll be in the room. Mm -hmm. And there was, in all those 12 years, there's only one time he wasn't. And it was because he had to go run and vote. He said, shook our hands and said, I got to go, you know, over to the building and vote. And sorry, you know, uh, Jeff Merkley really makes a, 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 an effort and he's, been there maybe a third of the time with us and the staff in the room, which is very rare. Uh, Ron Whiting less, I don't have a first name relationship with him, but he tries to be there and over the years, he's probably three, four meetings that he's he's attended. Uh, but uh, it is difficult just by the sheer number of meetings they have and committees and caucus meetings and so forth. So yeah, it's difficult. That's why the staff's so important. And to respect them. Wow. Yeah. Fantastic. So, I mean, how can people help? How can they get involved in what you're doing? On the state level, uh, go to their uh, uh, state uh, office, their, their local office for their state representative, excuse me, for their member of Congress, their senator, get to the staff, talk with them, email them, phone them. Tell them their concerns, Medicare patients, that if any of them are on this, hear this podcast, call your member of Congress, just voice your opinion, say, look, please vote for, you know, for H.R. 2654 or S. 4042. We want chiropractors covered. We want, you know, our tax dollars going to, to pay for their services because they do a wonderful job. Like, I love my chiropractor. Uh, and and another thing is, is go to more savvy ones that are willing to go to town hall meetings and voice their opinions, go to fundraisers, host a fundraiser, um, and, um, and those types of activities, whenever get the schedule of your congressman or congresswoman and senator and find out where they're going to be because they all give town hall meetings uh, and uh, show up. Fantastic. Show up. You heard it first. Well, I want to be, Vern, I want to be really respectful of your time. I really appreciate you coming on this podcast and letting us know. Thank you for having me. Anytime. Anytime. Anytime.